Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder Kings game that we watched from yesterday. Going to be prepping you for the game tomorrow, also against the Kings, but the big one, the big deal here is the new lottery standings that we got to see due to the result of the Thunder game and the surrounding games in the lottery standing so just hopping right into this thunder vs kings um i'm not gonna lie like sometimes whenever i do these game previews the injury reports are not completely out yet so i kind of slip up on like some of the injuries um i appreciate getting called out for this but um i somehow like had Corey joseph and delon Wright mixed up like i guess my mind just forgot that trade even happened i think they're both similar honestly but I just forgot it happened, I guess. So it's DeLon Wright who is the point guard for them, not Corey Joseph. He's on the Pistons right now. But, yeah, I mean, there was that. And um, I think for the Thunder, I mentioned that Maladon and Pokashevsky were both listed as, like, potential outs. They both got to play in this game. But the big deal came from Sacramento's end. And it was in their two guards, De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Now, De'Aaron Fox has been in COVID protocols for what feels like a month now, and I can tell you, I mean, the last time we played uh, against the Kings, like last week, it seemed like he was just about to get out of COVID protocols, and now he's still out. I assume that'd be the case for uh, tomorrow's game against the Kings too, but I mean, he's just been out a very extended amount of time. Tyrese Halliburton, I don't think you'd intentionally try to like, you know, cut him off from playing. Obviously makes you better, uh, you know, a better roster. But he's also a rookie, and you kind of want to be able to develop him, especially when Fox is not there to kind of be the number one option. So I think he was just out, like, legitimately. And then they had Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes. Didn't see Harrison Barnes last week when we played him. He was out for this game, and Buddy Heald was a game-time decision. And to my surprise, he actually got to play, and he started for them. I thought for sure, with him being questionable, he was going to get benched alongside the other three guys but no he actually got to play and for the thunder only real guys who were out for them were um well really it was just Lou Dort they also did not have Ty Jerome though and uh guys like Kendrick Williams and Tony Bradley also never even touched the floor so nothing too serious there the only glaring issue was once again you did not have a backup point guard and originally when I thought Maladon was out oh I said there was no way you know if they don't have a point guard at all what is going to happen to them they were able to get Maladon they were able to get Pogoshevsky they had pretty much everybody that they needed and the roster that Mark Dagnall constructed leading into this one was uh probably the weirdest we've seen all year and we've seen a good deal of uh interesting lineups but they had Teo playing the one that's nothing new Darius Baisley was running the three and Roby was at the four. That makes sense for both those guys. Baze actually hasn't really dropped down. He's kind of just been stuck at that four all year, but he's a three too. I mean, we kind of forget that, but he plays like a three, you know, and they want to get that a uh, little bit of a boost at the power forward spot, but they gave him the, the three and gave uh, Roby some time. But then you got the tower of two seven footers, and they have Pokashevsky playing at the small forward spot. Or not small four, my goodness. Played at the shooting guard spot. That might be the tallest shooting guard we've ever seen start in a game. Like, that is wacky. He could have, um, 
I mean, he could have played power forward. That's where he's been all year. And with that height, hell, he's a freaking center. But with him obviously being like 190 pounds, you can't play him there. So a little bit of interesting stuff. Like, I guess out of the grouping of him, Bays, and Roby, he's the one that's more flexible at that shooting guard position. So he got minutes there. And obviously he had Moses Brown, who is now listed at 7'1". He's definitely 7'2", though. So two seven footers there to go along with your roster but it was just i thought it was really interesting how how they kind of shape things up for the kings they had a lot of work to kind of cut out for themselves as well you know i wouldn't really call their starting lineup to be ideal either they had delon wright buddy healed as kind of that centerpiece mo harkless marvin bagley and rashawn holmes so not much different like at all from what we saw when we first played them but it was still it's still not really like a, a really good team you know when you're talking to starting five so i mean they were still a little bit drained anyways but when you just got into this one um you know that that kind of interesting lineup you saw from the thunder actually worked out for them and it was a little bit surprising but they went from the three-point line to start things out you know of their first 13 points nine of those came from distance so they just took notes from steph curry and the warriors from the game before and that's all that they were doing and for the Kings, I mean, they got their nine points, um, you know, right around the, the basket. My bad, it was eight. You know, it was a 13 to eight run to start things out. But they were just all coming from inside the paint. They were going right to Rashawn Holmes and um, even, you know, just penetrating to the basket. But they did not even look at the, at the three for any second there until they hit two consecutive ones. So they went on a 6-0 run to get a 14 to 13 lead and they were looking pretty pretty good and they kept going with it i mean that just took them a minute to get up and that lead or that streak they had kept just moving along they had a 13-0 run at their highest point after another two minutes so in a three minute span scored 13 points to nothing as uh as it really just came down to those threes bagley had a put back and then mo harkless was kind of the surprise guy in the first quarter uh, i don't have exactly how many he had in the first i could probably pull that up but yeah he was extremely hot and he scored the last five uh points in that little 13-0 stretch to to really help them out there so they were looking almost at um at a double digit lead harkless had a 12 in that first quarter if you guys were wondering but yeah i mean they were just really really red hot got them up 11 and then oklahoma city's bench unit came in and they just completely wiped that away they went on a 10 to 5 run the last play they had was amazing josh hall was taking it from the top of the key he drove left and kind of got pinned right uh, around the baseline i'd say you know more on like the left baseline i'd say like five to eight feet out and it looked like they were trying to trap him you know two guys wedged him between the baseline looking for like an errant pass or something or just stepping out of bounds well the guy who helped out should have been guarding Jalen Horde who got surprising time and Jalen Horde was just hovering around the free throw line and then he just darted inside Josh Hall threw it to him and he flushed down a perfect jam so it really helped them kind of get back down into the game but Sacramento kind of had that last laugh. They were up 33 to 25 leading into that second quarter. And in the second quarter, that little lead they had just hung. I mean, they had a 10-point lead, pretty much, you know, 10 to 8 
flipping right back and forth. No real actual movement, though, for that first three minutes. And then Oklahoma City just went extremely cold. They shot two of eight. And in that time, Sacramento was able to just blow up this game. They got a 22-point lead off of that through a 16-4 to run. And then they just kept going right back at it. You know, they had the 8-10 to point lead. Now you're talking flickering from 22 to 18, anywhere in that range. But it was not really moving for them. And at their highest point, they had a 23-point lead. So it never really got too out of hand past that 22 mark. But if you're down 22 in the second quarter, obviously it means that something's not really going that well for you. And at halftime, I mean, they were down 20 points, 71 to 51 and that was just unexpected I thought this would have been a game where honestly the Thunder could have been winning at halftime and probably entering that fourth quarter hell even at the final buzzer but it didn't look like it at all it looked like you know just one of those uh one of those collapses again and it's because the Kings whenever they got to the three to take the lead in the first it never went away they shot nine of 18 from three in the first half that's 27 points coming there And even on top of that, they were dominant inside too. They outscored the Thunder 36 to 20 in the paint. And to top it all off, it wasn't just one guy doing all the work. They had four different people in double digits by halftime. And the main dude there was Mo Harkless. I said he had that 12-point first quarter. Only had four more in the second quarter, but it was still overall really good for him. 16 points on five of seven shooting. Really, really hard for the Thunder to stop them. And... For the Thunder, I mean, they shot 42%. That's not terribly, terribly bad. It's also not that great either, especially when the Kings were shooting 63% from the floor. But I think the real bad part was just the mistakes they were making. Like they had, I think, nine turnovers and 11 fouls by halftime. And then also you know, they didn't have that number one guy like a Harkless or something. Their their leading score was Baisley with 10 points. So there wasn't a main guy kind of in the equation for them. I will say though, I like how they were passing the ball around. This is something that's been a struggle for them in terms of getting assists on a high volume of their makes. 14 of their 18 field goals made in the first 24 minutes came assisted. So that was the big takeaway. That was some hope there. Obviously, defense was terrible, but offensively, they were not all that bad. So, leading into the third, there wasn't a lot of hope, but, you know, there is still always a chance. And it started out, you know, it it wasn't much. There was not that glorious run that Thunder has kind of stumbled upon in some of these games. Wasn't there, so you had the first five minutes just a back and forth, just like that second quarter. And then the Kings got hot. They got really, really hot. They went on a 13-3 run, took a 30-point lead off of that. And Oklahoma City, you know, they were pretty nice. They drained the game back into the 20s a couple of different times. But Sacramento, they had another mini run to close out the quarter, a 7-0 run. And they were up 106-71 to leading into the fourth quarter. So a 35-point lead, I believe. That might have actually been their largest lead of the game. I'll, I'll make sure to check that um, in a second. Yeah, it actually was. That was their largest lead of the game. But yeah, they were going in that fourth. Pretty much it was just like uh, the Warriors game where everyone put in their bench units and you kind of just wanted to see what was going on. 
And I, I thought it was a good effort again, you know, being down 35, just any sort of energy until the final horn is really appreciated and that's what you're getting. You know, granted, a lot of the guys on our bench are not really secure past this year. You got two-way guys in Josh Hall and Jalen Horde who, if they get guaranteed money elsewhere, of course they're going to take it. I feel like with both of those, not really Horde, but definitely Hall, he'd be worth like a, another two-way contract. I don't know about a full-scale deal. I think Jalen Horde's actually worth a, a real look and a guaranteed contract, but I don't know if it would be us, but... Yeah, I mean, he's good, but there's just a lot of uncertain futures, whether it comes to off-seasons, um, contract years, just all that stuff. So everyone kind of just plays their hearts out in the fourth quarter whenever they touch the floor in general. And their final little push came at the very end of the game. The Thunder went on a 12-2 to run, and it was just that bench, plus Pokashevsky got minutes there, and it really helped out. So they got the game to the 20s, and then by the time the dust kind of settled out they ended up losing by 28 points 126 to 98 and with the loss the thunder they ended up dropping down to 21 and 48 on the year but that's not the big part the big part is with it they had the lone possession of the third best lottery odds in the entire league now how long will this stick we don't know, but it's pretty big for right now, and I'll go into that in a little bit, but that is a huge, huge loss. And for the Sacramento Kings, this actually works in our favor too, because if they would have lost this game, pretty much they wouldn't have any playoff shot. And honestly, I don't think they do anyways, because the only way they get in is sneaking into a play-in spot, and their bid would come from the San Antonio Spurs pretty much losing out. They still have the Pelicans in between those two because they are the 12th seed. But San Antonio not only has the tiebreaker, I believe, but they're also two and a half games ahead of them right now. And if they get a win tonight, it'd be three. So it'd be really, really hard for them to make it. But there's still that tiny, tiny sliver of hope. And that's all that matters when we uh, enter tomorrow's game. But yeah, it worked out in our favor uh, not just for our perspective, but also kind of looking on to the next one and how the Kings might prep. I don't think it's going to matter. I feel like everyone's still going to be out for them, but maybe, maybe there's something that, that will be done. They're 30 and 38 on the year though. So with all of that, I mean, the big thing was just the Kings, how well they were doing passing the ball around. And I say this not only because they had 30 assists, but they also had eight different guys finish the game in double digits. All five of the starters plus three people on that second unit. And it started with Mo Harkless, that monstrous first half he had. Finished the game with 18, so he kind of settled down late. But it was still, you know, a good amount of damage. He shot five of 12 to get there had five rebounds and three assists had five fouls though so couldn't really risk him late not like it it really mattered I don't think he would have played regardless but that was that but there was a, another forward off the bench who played the Mo Harkless role when Mo Harkless simply could not play and it was Terrence Davis he was really really big in the last game the Thunder played against the Kings it was no different Sunday night because he dropped 18 points too and he shot 5 of 11 from the field 2 of 6 from 3 but he got to the line 7 different times and drained 6 of them not to mention he also had 7 assists 
on the game. So those are the two main guys. There were two other people who had 15-point games in Rashawn Holmes and DeLon Wright. DeLon Wright was uh, actually really good from three. Shot three of six, but he was more of that distributor too. So he got those 15 points, but he also had seven rebounds and five assists. And for Rashawn Holmes, you know, I, I'm surprised. I don't know how long he's been in the league. He's kind of one of those people where you would kind of look at him and you'd be like, you know, there's no way. Um, I don't even know how old he is. I'd say he's like 23 or 24 years old, but I think he was even with like the process Philadelphia 76ers. That's how he got his name kind of in the ballot. And yeah, he's 27 years old now, but it just seems like he's been in the league, um, you know, not that long, but in reality, he, he kind of has. But yeah, he's hung around and he's really just turned himself into a really valuable piece at the five. Went, shot seven of nine and only had four rebounds, but didn't really mean that much. He just had to be right around the basket and he's very, very good on uh, on those close shots. So he was great. And then the other two guys in that starting unit were Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley Jr. Buddy Heald got 14 points going five of 11 overall. Four of 10 from three is that kind of key note there. Also had seven assists, and Marvin Bagley had 13 points and nine rebounds. Also, just kind of playing that Rashawn Holmes part of let me get put back dunks and let me just stand right around the basket and get freebies because there were a decent amount of them for those two. Also, were some freebies for the second unit's front court in Chesme Metu and also with Damian Jones. So, with Metu. He played 27 minutes, got 13 points and 9 rebounds, shot 4 of 10 from the floor. And then for Damian Jones, he played 21 minutes, had 11 points on 5 of 6 shooting, had 6 rebounds, and a game high of 4 blocks. I forgot what the deal was with Damian Jones. I know he's gotten passed around a couple different teams on like 10 days. I think it was the Lakers he was with. But yeah, I mean, this was a great signing for the Kings, I wouldn't have minded the Thunder taking a jab at him. Obviously, he would have been off the market even when we got into like the the Justin Robinsons and the Charlie Brown Juniors even. But yeah, he's been a really good pickup for them. Uh, I think he actually signed like a multi-year contract, deservingly so. But yeah, he was really great. And then with him and, and Davis kind of together, it made it so it wasn't just all coming from inside the basket. So there was still kind of second guessing going on. The team overall made 16 threes, which is not a ton, but it was a lot better than what the Thunder did. They only hit 11 in the game. Just looking at what the Thunder did though, you know, this was another game where there was not the main kind of main dude, but there were still some highlights all over the place. And Darius Baisley led the game or led the team in points. Actually, I guess he tied because he did have 18 Shot 6 of 13 and 2 of 3 from distance, 4 of 5 from the line, and had 6 boards. The big deal with him is the spin move that he's unlocked, and also the 2 of 3 shooting from distance, because we want to see him steady out from the 3-point line. But he didn't take that starring role. I thought that he would be the guy, like the point man, as not just an ISO guy, but also like a passer. Only had two assists. I would have thought like five or more, but it, it really wasn't any different from what we've seen him on a day-to-day -day basis. And granted, it's probably because Teo Maladon got to play in the game, but you know, I would have thought maybe he had a little bit more initiator skills in his 30 minutes. 
The big guy that I want to talk about, though, is Jalen Horde. And I've been talking about him for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you can check the preview I did yesterday. That was the main course. That was the guy I was raving about. And guess what happened? You go into Bally Sports Oklahoma last night, and what was the topic story over? You had Paris Lawson and Nick Gallo talking about Jalen Horde for like 10 minutes. And what do you know? He drops a career-high 16 points. So they pretty much just spoken into existence. I'm not going to sit around here, though, and, and be like, oh, you know, this came out of nowhere. I've been saying you give the man the minutes, he's going to perform. He looked really, really good just working right below the basket. Does not even need to shoot threes. Went six of eight. Leave out the three. Didn't even take one and got to the line five times and drilled four of them. Had five rebounds and two steals to go along with it. Such a versatile piece. I think he's like six foot eight or something. He's 23 years old now. But there's still room for him to grow. I think him, you know, like a good comparison, it'd be tough. I'd want to put him along the lines of um, of like Derek Jones Jr., but not, you know, like the, the skill set of like jumping out of the gym and like those crazy blocks. I'm just talking the basic framework of a guy who can play at the three or four. I guess Jones is more of like a two, three, but really good as a defender decently agile at his position and then all his offense kind of comes around the basket and I know Derek Jones Jr. has been working a bit on the three um but I'm talking like Phoenix Suns version almost and that's kind of where Jalen Horde is at like Derek Jones Jr. when he was playing for the Suns and playing back and forth in the G League system he wasn't a surefire thing. I think he got picked up on like a two-way contract, and that's how he worked his way out. That's kind of how I see Jalen Horde in that sense because it's it's that three, not the three, it's the offense right around the rim and the defense that's kind of making his name. And as we've seen, like Derek Jones Jr. has built up a name, played really good with the Miami Heat, and now he's still looking very solid. I don't know where the trajectory would be for Jalen Horde, but it's kind of along that line I think like I don't think he's ever going to hit that three-point line much in his career but if he can solidify himself defensively that's where you get somewhere because it's not like a deal like an Andre Roberson for example amazing lockdown defender and he he didn't really have an offensive game at all Jalen Hoard's great when it comes to finishing around the basket but one of the deals, too, with uh, Andre Robertson is you put him to the line, and he's terrible. Jalen Horde is a pretty decent free throw shooter, so I think he's very good. Um, I think it's defensively where you need to sure up, but offensively, he's been just what you need him to be, especially attacking. And it was mentioned during the game, I think by Nick Gallo, but on the move, seems to be a lot better of a player. I 100% agree with that. You know, a lot of the things that he makes is in isolation situations. I don't have exactly what his wingspan is. I'd assume it's pretty long, though. So he gets onto these smaller defenders, and he'll kind of just drive right at him, and then he'll stop on a dime. I think there was like a little standstill, almost, you know, close shot that he took, banked it in right over his man. Like those kind of plays where he'll just slow down out of nowhere and get an open shot. We see it all the time, and that's one of his bread and butter moves to go along with, you know, just a plethora of pump fakes, kind of bring the ball up in the air, catching you on a block, and then just putting it up. 
Just those kind of plays. He does it a lot, and that's what you saw. So really loved what I saw from Jalen Horde. This is something that has been shown in smaller sample sizes, but now we got to see the bigger one. And what do you know? Uh, he looked like probably the best player on the team just based on like an efficiency standpoint. But yeah, he was absolutely spectacular. So looking outside of him, Svima Kailuk was also very solid off the bench, shot 5 of 15 in the last game against the Warriors, I think. He wasn't making a lot of threes, but in this one, that's where the great deal points came from. Shot 4 of 11 from beyond the arc. And then you work back into the starters, the two 19-year-olds, the teenagers, and Alexei Pokushevsky and Teo Maladon, they both dropped 13 points, Poku shot 5 of 11, 2 of 7 from the floor, and he also had 5 assists. And Poku, he makes really just insanely weird shots look seamless, and he does it like once a game maybe, where he'll just pretty much put like a pause on the remote damn near like he will freeze when he is like sprawled out he's damn near doing the splits with his legs he'll just freeze and he'll be able to you know just unpause and flick up a shot banks it in and it's good to go and then you got weird plays where he's lagging like he had a three that you know it, it got ruled as a pass i think by both the stat book and the announcers but this is like a right wing three and even this if this was a pass it was pretty embarrassing i don't think he got the ball up like a solid foot over where his arms were flicking this ball up from like the release point was extremely high the arc was terrible didn't go up at all pretty much just a giveaway turnover but in real time like this was a full-fledged shot release like this was not just a overhead pass or something looked like a shot I guess he wanted to fake it, but oh boy, I don't know if I want to see that again. Um, with Maladone, though, he didn't have a lot of those assists like Poku did. He only had two, but he shot five of 15 from the floor, also two of seven from three, and he went one of four from the foul line. So just typical things with him, especially just working right around the cup, waiting for those high ball screens, and then just kind of attacking. And kind of the, the main guy that he was finding off of that was Moses Brown. He had 12 points on the game. Went 3 of 4 from the field, but went 6 of 7 from the free throw line. You go and try to double team him right under the rim. He pulls the KD rip move and he'll get the call. If you don't extend your arm out in front of his wrist, there's not going to be a foul call and you're going to get a beautiful shot contest on him. But the Kings never were able to find that out with him. And that's why he was able to post double digits. Because outside of that, this would have been another game where... He could have struggled to get there. Um, and then on top of it, he also had nine rebounds. Four of those came offensively. So those are the main, really, six people that I wanted to point out. Gabrielle Deck went one of eight on the game in 31 minutes. That might be the most we've ever seen him play. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess you can't really make an assumption on him. Like, we were talking so highly about him last week. One game like this or two games, it doesn't matter. We just want to see reps with him. And come summertime, we'll make that real just evaluation. And I think he'd just stay on the team or get traded or something. But he's not going to be out of the league. There's no way you don't move him on um, past this point. But that was just kind of my thoughts on everybody. I do want to say that with Horde, he only played 22 minutes, which was ridiculous for 16 points. I feel like they almost 
are trying not to play him, but the roster limitations kind of force their hand a little bit, and he keeps being impressive. There's three games left in the regular season. Start Jalen Horde or something. This is where you figure out who you want down the line, and I know it's going to be cutthroat, especially at the small forward, power forward spots, but if you really believe in a guy like Horde, who I think has a future in the NBA, you know, you might as well test the waters with him. We've seen so much of Isaiah Roby, Darius Baisley, Poku. Rule one about one about with like an illness or something, like a calf strain, something. Let these guys play and let them get their last few reps. And hell, we get three more losses and we're good to go leading into lottery night. So that's just kind of my take on these things. Obviously, you know, that might be a terrible opinion to some of you, but I really want to see those guys, like the two-way people, even though they might not play with us, see how they work out and see how some of the others work out. You know, we know what we have in a great deal of people, especially like Dort and Baze. Just pull out the, the sophomores and let's see a kind of a revival, I guess, of the Maladone Poku days where they're dropping 34 and 25, and then you got sneaky co-stars and someone like a Jalen Horde or something. That'd be very exciting basketball um, to be watching. I don't think it happened, but that's just a nice hypothetical that I think about honestly way too much because, as I said, it's not going to happen. But just looking at um, overall, like a grand perspective at the league, that loss was gigantic. And it came not just off our loss, but it came off of another game that was played between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Orlando Magic. Orlando, they didn't play like anyone serious. The injuries have been plaguing them like crazy. They got to play Dante Hall significant minutes. Admiral Schofield, who I said, you know, former Thunder guy, his deal fell through, so he's not actually with them right now. I bet that's why Hall is there, but he's not there. Didn't matter, though. I mean, they lost 128-96. to So with that, the Minnesota Timberwolves now are sitting with a 21-47 and record. That's a half game behind us right now. And the Magic, they're also 21-47, and so they're both back. And the Cavaliers, they're 21-47. and So that wall is constructed just solely on off of that game so we're looking good that clinched this spot the other real big game was between the Cavs and the Mavericks Mavericks won the game by I think what 27 points or something like that so it was not close and then the Pistons played a close one with the Bulls though and the Bulls came out on top 108 to 96 but nothing really changed when you're talking about what to look at tonight though there is only one real one, but it's between the Pacers and the Cavs. Cavs on that second day of a back-to-back. I don't know how much weight you put into them. We'll say the Pacers, though. If Sabonis and O'Shea Brissett are a little flaky, that's where I think they're vulnerable. Now, I don't think that happened. I think the Pacers should be able to handle this, probably in double-digit fashion. But I feel like that's one of those games where they they could somehow come out and, and make a statement. I wouldn't fully kind of go um, on that path, though. I think it'd probably still be a Pacers W. But with it, you'd be under the assumption it'd be a two-way tie for three leading into tomorrow's game against the Kings. But let's just break this down right now as to what these standings would look like. And with the revised standings, this is huge. 
the one through three seeds all have the same exact odds from one through four and it's 52.1 percent and the big one first overall chances they are at 14 percent when we're talking about what we've been looking at for most of the year where we're hovering around like the five to the six spot it's around 10 so that's a big jump a four percent increase is huge and especially the top four area because let's just go for example like the seven seed right now because there is a three-way tiebreaker at four so it's a bit awkward but at the seven spot the raptors only have a 31.9 percent chance so that's over a 20 percent increase from there just moving up i guess four spots like that is wild and that puts us right in that same category as the houston rockets and the detroit pistons the only difference here is when you look past the fourth overall pick and with how this works the first overall selection which will be the rockets leading into the lottery night the worst they can do is five and that's perfect for us because we want to have that fifth pick that secures likely like a jonathan kuminga but maybe there's a different pecking order and we get like a guard i don't think mobley would go that deep but hell you'd you definitely take him they'd have like a 48 percent chance of that fifth selection and then you run down the line of the next four teams so the top five teams they have a shot at um at getting the the fifth pick but it really just significantly drops down the big deal though is the rockets they can be one through five the pistons who are second right now they can be one through six and right now we could be one through seven fourth best odds one through eight fifth you know one through nine you kind of get the gist of where i'm going with it it just really lowers down the uh the kind of selection of prospects we'd have and you want to be able to kind of have that security blanket and it's not like you know the process 76ers where you know heading into this okay we're good we're gonna have like a top three four pick it's a lot more expansive than that but with a top five so you know kind of hyped up and so polarizing almost with what is available and where we currently are we want to make sure we can trim down you know to like a one through one through seven and if we get six or seven which is by all accounts very likely still you could move that with something else to try to slide in like four or five i'd say pretty easily depending on what else you're going to be handing out there so it helps you and potential moves and clearly the big deal is top four you don't even want to worry about you know six or seven but it could definitely come into play because us you know winning one more game could separate us from entering saying you know what the worst we can do is seven that secures us probably someone pretty solid like a scotty barnes or something at, at the floor and then you you win one game and now you're out of this mega tie with the magic the timberwolves and the cleveland cavaliers and you're sitting what that would be like the sixth seed yeah the sixth seed in lottery odds and you would be i think like one through ten almost that's that's huge and the odds for like nine ten are, are very small but there's still always that chance and you don't want to play that kind of game there so it really helped us out in terms of lottery numbers here this was the best result but you need to keep in mind that yes they have the third best odds currently but with the games and with the rosters that teams are placing especially the Cavs and the magic i don't see them going anywhere i think it's gonna be a three-way tie 
and the Timberwolves are not completely out of it. They need to win one more game, but there is still going to be just one last pivotal matchup between these lottery teams, which should make it so that there will be some sort of kind of difference in the lottery standings, and it comes with the Timberwolves facing the Detroit Pistons. I'd assume the the, uh, Timberwolves win the game. The Pistons win it somehow. Now you are talking, could there be a four-way tie somewhere else along the line? But it's an interesting kind of thing to chat about. We'll get a lot clearer of a picture probably after tomorrow's game against the Sacramento Kings because when you play the Jazz and the Clippers to round it up, I think you say those are both losses. But that Kings game, is still very, very um, serious, and you don't want to take it lightly. So I'll be talking about that game more extensively tomorrow, probably more on the lottery, and maybe just more thoughts on guys like Jalen Horde and stuff, because I, I really do enjoy what they're bringing to the table. But yeah, I mean, other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.